0: but we do we 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 get these ideas in our head that we somehow have to make ourselves better this coming year right we look look back on the year that has passed and say you know I I could have did better at that I, I, I maybe failed in that area or or I could have put more effort in in a particular area of my life and it's not wrong to want to improve yourself it's not wrong to want to be a better human being but there's really only one way to go about that there's really only one way to go about that and that's looking to Christ our passage today is in Colossians um, and I will read uh, chapter 3 verse 17 and it's in my opinion and and I, I think I'm right at this If we get this right, all those other resolutions we make will fall into place, will they not? The word of God reads, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we start this new year, as we desire to be better people. We beg that you would give us the grace that we need, that you would do the work, that you would make us the Christians you have called us to be, that we would better glorify you this year than we did last year, and that Christ would be our focus for this new year, and he would be our only focus. Would you order our lives in such a way as to bring you glory? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, throughout the letter to the church at Colossus, the Apostle Paul gives forth many imperatives. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through all those imperatives, those those do's and those don'ts of the Christian life. But I'm just going to do a, a few examples. And it's not just... These things that we're to do as Christians, or he was commanding the Colossian, the Colossian Christians to do uh, as part of their New Year's resolutions, if they even had such back then. But, but as life every day, we don't live our lives as Christians on Sunday only. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Oh, i got to get ready to be a Christian tomorrow no each and every day we are christians okay christianity is not just what we do it's who we are but it's not just who we are as people it's who we are in christ christ is the focus christ is the center christ is the motivation christ is the power and so Paul, going through this letter, now and I'll give a few examples. Chapter 2, and verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, don't be led astray. Uh, the people during the Enlightenment period would have taken this very well if they would have obeyed this, rather than, turning away from Christ and turning to the things of the world or how about chapter 2 verse 16 let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath in other words don't be a legalist Christianity is not about the rules okay but it's also not about not obeying rules either you, you can't go to one extreme or the other you can't be a legalist but you can't be an antinomian Okay. Paul says in chapter 2 verse 18 let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind in other words worship the one true living God don't be drawn into false worship okay asceticism that's a form of what legalism but it's also a form of self-worship I can do something to make myself better in God's eyes, right? No, that's that's a form of self-worship. That's false worship, worshiping angels. What did the angel tell John several times in the book of John? Don't you worship me. I'm a servant like you worship God. Even angels themselves will not accept worship. Well, God's angels will not accept worship. We know Satan is an angel and him and his fallen comrades will accept worship because then that takes away from the worship of God and that draws people into idolatry. We are to constantly be put into death the remaining sin in our lives. Paul says in chapter 3 verse 5, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Like I said, we could go through this whole book, and there's example after example after example. But I'm leading up to verse 17 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How we are to approach Christian life. What is the focus here in the Christian life? Christ. How how are we to live peaceably? We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Chapter 4. Um, verses 2 and 5 and 6 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How do we live together as Christians? How do you um, interact with non believers in the workplace? or in other places Paul is putting these imperatives forward to the Christians on how we are to live in Christ but in my opinion verse 17 even though it's before some of these other imperatives in, in the later chapters of the book I think is is the summary of all these imperatives Paul writes and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything. What we say. What we do. And then we can go even backwards. What we think. We should think on things of Christ. We should, our speech should show forth our faith in Christ. You you don't have to go around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. People should be able to discern that by the way you talk, especially in this day and age. Because we do talk different, I hope. I hope you talk different. I mean, and there's words now that people use, I don't even know what that means. I don't know if it's a cuss word or not. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But we, we think different, therefore we talk different, and we act different. People should see that difference in us. Because we are not conformed to this world. But we are being transformed by the renewal of our minds. The gospel of Christ does that. If we could just get this right this passage right this verse all of our resolutions would fall into place we wouldn't even need most of them right because we would be doing things for the glory of God in Christ Jesus so what does this look like in our lives well Paul's going to go on in this chapter and and on into verse uh, chapter 4 telling us what this looks like in the the life of the Christians. Namely, in in your family life. You know, in real estate, there's a popular saying. What is it? Location, location, location. Well, in theology, we have another saying. Context, context, context. You're not going to buy a house. I don't care how beautiful the house is if it's in a location that you don't like, are you? Well, you can't approach Scripture no matter what you think of the passage unless you keep it in the proper context. Because if you take it out of context, then you've taken it out of the Word of God. And you can very well negate the meaning of it by doing so. In Paul's day, the household, when he's speaking of a household, it consisted of several different people groups in the household. A lot different than what our households today look like. You had the the husband and wife. You had the father and mother. You had the children. You had servants or slaves and maybe even some extended family members. That was a household. And so Paul In verses 18 and following of chapter 3, he's going to give instructions of what verse 17 looks like in the context of a a household, of a Christian household. What it ought to look like. So he's going to flesh out what he said in verse 17 throughout the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Now we're not going to go all the way through chapter 4 for time this morning. I'm going to try to Watch the time because we have a full service today. So just having said, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, Paul now writes, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, in our society today, you would have thought, I just drew my fingernails across a chalkboard. Many women out there just don't want to hear that. I've actually heard a woman say this in the church. That's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to submit to my husband. He's not in charge of me. Paul doesn't just say wives submit to your husbands, period, does he? He says wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This goes against human nature. This goes against women's lib. This goes against our societal norms. But this is not anything new. God said about this in the Garden of Eden, did he not? As part of the curse of the fall. Your desire will be for your husband, not not a a burning desire to, to follow him and love him, but a desire to usurp his authority. That's fallen human nature. And Paul says, as Christians, we don't live like that. What Paul is saying to the wives in the Colossian church, and is still relevant in, in our day to women in our day, to wives, their submissiveness to their husbands was to be voluntarily, voluntary, not forced. This is not a forced submission. This is not a, a, you becoming a slave to your husband. And this submissiveness is not necessarily about your husband's authority. Because he says, it's about Christ. It's about Christ's authority. Wives, when you voluntarily submit to your husband, you are actually submitting yourself to Christ. Because you are doing this for His name's sake, for His glory. Submit to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord. And ladies, the church has been given to you as a wonderful example. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, chapter 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As the church submits to Christ, that's your example. It's not a perfect example, but it's your example. We've seen what it looks like. Well, Some of us have. Maybe many of us have. We've seen what it looks like when a church does not submit to Christ. We learned about that in in our Bible study lesson this morning. uh, the, The age of enlightenment, where they turned away from Christ. They turned away from Christ and turned to... Christian principles. Well, Christianity is not about principles. It's about a person. It's about Christ. So, wives, this submission to your husbands is not absolute. I will say that. It's not absolute. Because your primary submissiveness is to be to God. So, in submitting to your husband, You do not, you are not required, in my understanding, you are not required to go against what God tells you. You are not required to violate what the Holy Scriptures tell you in your conscience. And in everything else, as far as your conscience and the Word of God allows, you are to be submissive to your husband. And this, at the end of the day, and at every day, and during all the day, it brings God glory. Now Paul turns his attention to the men. He's not a, sober, he's not a chauvinist, as, as, as some people say, because he does give uh, imperatives to men too. OK? And, and I think you'll see that what he tells the men is, is much harder than what he tells the women. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. And and in the book of Ephesians, we're told what that love is to look like. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's not a sensual love. That's a sacrificial love. That kind of love, men will greatly encourage your wife to be submissive. And will give her a heart of submissiveness voluntarily because you are loving her sacrificially. Paul also addresses in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Because the husband is the authority figure in the home, he is commanded to rule in love. This command that Paul gives is a two-part command. First, the command is to love. And he explains what this looks like. You are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. This love was to be first and foremost a love for Christ. Dear ones, you can't love each other if you don't love Christ not not in the way that's commanded here you can have a a, a feeling of love a, a sensual love if you will a, a physical attraction but you cannot love each other unless you love christ first because it's that type of love that you're to give according to the greek english dictionary this word agapeo means to love, value, esteem or manifest generous concern for be faithful towards to delight in to set store upon in other words, husbands your love for Christ, your love for God is to be the only love higher in your life than your love for your wife You should not cherish anything more than your wife other than Christ. If you have a love for anything else that's greater than your love for your wife, you're being disobedient. You are not loving her as God commands you to. Not your job. Not your kids. That's one that we struggle with, isn't it? I always used to tell my kids, at the end of the day... I'm married to your mother, and I will take her over you any day of the week. And if she's wrong, I will tell her in private. But when it comes to, uh, with you kids, I'm going to side with her every single time. She's my wife. <laughs> You're my kids. There's a difference. I love my kids, but I didn't love them the same way I loved my wife. And in the same way, our love for Christ needs to be much more elevated than our love for our wives. Consequently, the more we love Christ, the more we will love our wives. You know, when I was first converted, I was attending with my wife church. And we were having marital troubles because of my life. And so she convinced me to go into the Bible study, uh, which was called New Couples or Young Couples, even though we were the oldest couple there in our 30s. But I went. And the teacher one day gave an illustration. He drew a triangle. And he wrote Christ at the top. And he wrote husband. And he wrote wife. And he said, now, as husband and wife, if you're focusing on Christ and you're becoming more and more Christ-like and you're becoming, your love for Christ is growing, what's happening? You see how you're growing closer together. That's the proper love, gentlemen, that you're to have for your wife. As you seek to look to Christ, as you seek to love Christ, as you seek to obey Christ, you will be able to obey this. You will be able to love your wife sacrificially. And that love, gentlemen, will draw her to you in submissiveness if she, too, is looking to Christ. We're not to have that I'm-in-charge attitude. Kind of hard for an ex-military guy. I struggled with that. But thank God he helped me overcome that. It's rather, I'm here for you. I'm here to care for you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to protect you because I love you next Paul says as a father we're to rule our children also in love we're not to provoke them to wrath we're not to discourage them we can do that gentlemen can't we we can place expectations on them that aren't realistic or we can just take that whole authoritative role do this Do it now or else. Sometimes it's necessary. But we're to rule our children in Christ's love. They'll be more apt to to listen to you when you teach them about Christ. You know, when you say your father in heaven loves you, (laughs) and all they have as an example, is an earthly father that's mean, what good does that do them? So we are to not only love our wives like we love Christ, but we are to love our children, right? They're, uh, the Bible says they're like arrows in our quiver, right? They're for God's glory. We are to raise them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now that doesn't guarantee they'll be Christian. But I guarantee there's a much better chance they'll be Christian than if you don't raise them up in the, in the church, in the training and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, we have a few children here today, and I'll, I'll speak to you. It not only pleases your parents when you obey them, but the Bible says it pleases the Lord. Do you want to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you do that? You obey your parents. And, and for the adults out here, I don't think there's a moratorium a, On this, honoring your mother and father at least. I think we ought to honor them as long as they are alive, no matter how old we get. This is the first command with a promise, Paul points out in Ephesians. The focus on obeying your parents is that it is pleasing to the Lord. William Henderson aptly wrote, he said, disobedience to parents is one of the vices of paganism. Romans 1.30 It marks the ever-increasing wickedness of the last days. 2 Timothy 3.2 The sole destructive falsehood that would abolish all parental authority so that children no longer need to pay attention to their father's instructions or their mother's teaching Is directly contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. So we have those outlined for us. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not discourage your children. Children, obey your parents. Because that is pleasing to the Lord. And then Paul addresses the family slaves. Now we don't have. Well, I don't have family slaves. <laughs> I, no, we don't. We don't understand this because in our day we don't have slavery, do we? Well, at least not the way they had it. I mean, we do have slavery, but. Paul is addressing this family unit. Remember, this is in the household. This is a Christian household. uh, Households within the church at Colossus. And so slaves or family servants would be part of those households. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul says, if you find yourself in a position as a slave, then you work heartily. Now, we can take this and and bring it over into your place of work. Now, you may have a job where you feel like a slave. What, what good does it do if you don't work hard or if you just complain about your work all the time? What does that do? Does that show the people that you work for how much you love Christ? No, you work. You give an honest day's work. You earn your paycheck. And you do it heartily. And always keep in the back of your mind that you're working for Christ. In other words, I want, I want my employer to see That even in the worst part of my job, that I love Christ. And he can see that by how I work. When he says we're working for Christ, we're working to promote Christ's kingdom. We're working to share the gospel. Oh, you know, I really hate this part of this job. Come on now, why do I always have to do this? By the way, would you come to church with me this Sunday? Well, no. Am I going to go to church with you and hear everybody else complaining about their jobs too? That's not how we do it. That's not how Paul says to do it. We're to work. We're to work. And and he says, remember this. If you are wronged, the Lord will repay. It's not up to you. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Speaking of with the Lord, there is no partiality. You know, Paul spends more time actually writing to slaves than he does to the rest of the family, I think, because their position is is worse. I I couldn't imagine being a slave. Not having the freedom to say, okay, you know, I don't really like this job, I'm going to get another job. (laughs) Or I don't like living here, I want to go live over there. A slave couldn't do that or being sold, watching your family being sold to somebody else, and you being sold a different way. That was your lot as a slave. You were completely at, at the mercy of your master. But Paul doesn't leave it there, because then he addresses masters. Now, this is not the Bible saying that slavery is okay. Slavery is and always has been a result of fallen nature, of our sinfulness. This is Paul merely saying, in whatever position you find yourself in, honor Christ. In, in thought and word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he tells the masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. Why? Because you also have a master. So you may be an earthly master, small m, But you have a master in heaven, capital M, who is in charge. And we are told countless times in scripture, when Jesus returns, he will bring his recompense with him. So as a Christian, if I'm an employer, I'm going to treat my employees fairly and deal with them justly. So let's look at it very briefly a few items of application in here. What Paul is saying, how he he outlines this in uh, chapter, verse seventeen of chapter three, and then he goes on to explain what that looks like. Let's take a look real quick in Revelation chapter five. Let's look at verses eleven through 13 of revelation chapter 5 this is the apostle john writing uh, in his vision then i looked and i heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever, and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. What does that have to do with what our passage today. Who is worthy? Christ is worthy. If we go further back in the, in the, the chapter 5 of Revelation, we, we find out why he's worthy. Because he has redeemed for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. But what is he worthy of? Power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, he's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of every living creature's obedience. And he is eternally worthy of every living creature's obedience. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because Christ is worthy. Husbands, love your wives. Why? Because Christ is worthy. Children, obey your parents. Christ is worthy. Employees, obey your bosses. Because Christ is worthy. Employers, treat your employees fairly and with respect. Because Christ is worthy. Dear ones, these are not conditional commands. The Apostle Paul does not say if, then in these commands. It's not, I'll obey if they are worthy of obedience. I'll submit if they are worthy of submission. I'll love if they are worthy of love. No, I will do these things because Christ is worthy. Christians, Jesus endured the cross for us. He suffered the horrors of hell for us. He suffered the wrath of Almighty God on our behalf. And yet we would, by our disobedience, proclaim Him unworthy. May it never be. Christ is worthy. As imperfect creatures living in fallen flesh, we struggle with these commands, do we not? We don't perfectly obey these commands. But we rely on the grace. That's why we, you hear us saying a lot, grace. We need more grace. We rely on God's grace. You're going to hear that this morning when we hear our um, covenant promise. You're going to hear the grace. We know that we can't keep our covenant promise. We know that we can't obey these things were it not for the grace of God. And we must beg Him to give us more grace every day for this. If you are still lost, if you don't savingly know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to flee to the Savior today without delay. He is your only hope. You can't Have a wonderful family life if you don't flee to Christ. Now, fleeing to Christ is not going to all of a sudden make your marriage better, necessarily. But it will be a start. And if you both seek Christ, it will make your life together better. I don't say flee to Christ so He can clear all your problems up. Because that's never promised in Scripture. Flee to Christ so you have the hope of eternal life. You know, we have a funeral this week. And we mourn the loss. And many of you have been through this yourselves. But even in our mourning we rejoice. Because as, as our brother said this morning, we have witnessed the grace of God in Brother Carl's life. He served faithfully and cheerfully as a deacon many years. He was always quick to tell people about Christ. If you're lost, you need Christ. Because when you come to the end of your life, can people say that about you? God's grace was evident in your life. God's saving grace. The Bible says that you must repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sin. It might not be bad, necessarily bad things. But everything is sin to you because you don't have saving faith in Christ. Turn from your unbelief and turn to Christ. And God's word promises... For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from hell. Saved from sin. Saved for Christ. By Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts by asking, What is the chief end of man? The answer given is, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Bible says, For you were bought with a price... So glorify God in your body. Again, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And as we learned in today's passage, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Dear ones, by the grace God gives you in Christ, do everything in the name of our Savior christ jesus the lord do it for his glory that's the new year's resolution worth keeping and i would say happy new year but i would rather say have a blessed new year we're not guaranteed happiness but as we obey christ we're guaranteed blessings let's pray Holy Father, we ask that you would make these things a reality in our hearts and our lives here today. That you would call us all to repentance, daily call us to repentance. And for those who need saving faith, Father, would you open their eyes to see who Christ is, the altogether lovely one. Would you draw them savingly to him through the power of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And for those of us who profess faith in Christ, would you strengthen our faith? Would you cause us to walk more obedient this year than we did this past year? And that you would be glorified and greatly magnified for you are worthy. O oh Lord, our God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You stand with me and we'll sing hymn 416, I Need Thee Every Hour.